Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Psalm 89. This psalm is kind of three psalms in one. It has three fairly long and distinct sections. There's a hymn of praise to Yahweh in verses 1 to 18. There's an oracle concerning the covenant with David in verses 19 to 37. And then there is a lament concerning the present plight of Israel in verses 38 to 51. The last verse in this psalm, verse 52, is actually a closing doxology for the entire third book of the Psalter, running from Psalm 73 through Psalm 89. We don't know for sure when it was composed, but the flow of the lyrics make it clear that it was late in the Davidic dynasty, perhaps even post-Babylonian exile. What is clear is that the house of David is in ruins, and the promises God made to David appear to have been repudiated. It is referred to in the ascription as a maskil of Ethan the Ezraite. Ethan the Ezraite was the founder of one of the endowed choirs that created and performed the liturgy of the temple. First Chronicles 15:19 mentions Heman, Asaph, and Ethan, and then Second Chronicles 5:12 mentions Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun. And so most scholars assume that Ethan was simply a contraction of the name Jeduthun. So 2 Chronicles 5.12 speaks of the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, and Jeduthun, their sons and kinsmen arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres. Derek Kidner assumes that Psalm 89 was the product of the choir, not the founder. He says, As with certain of the Psalms of Asaph, this is evidently a product of the choir rather than of the founder himself, since no disaster befell the throne of David for several centuries after his time. And that certainly does seem to fit with what we know about the reigns of both David and Solomon, the likely lifespan of Ethan. Those were times of victory and expansion and blessing, And this psalm was clearly written during a time of declension, devastation, and seeming abandonment. So it was likely written by the Jeduthun choir at some point in the Babylonian exile or shortly thereafterwards. Hear now the word of the Lord beginning at verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. There is a sense in which this entire psalm is a reflection upon the promises that God made to David in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 16. It would be worth reading those promises in full. The Lord said to David, When your days are fulfilled, 
and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, forever becomes a key word in this psalm. The psalmist is preparing to remind God that he made forever promises to David and that he even guaranteed that these promises would not be voided by sin in the house of David. He said he would discipline the house of David, but not reject it or cast it off entirely. So what in the world is going on? That's where this psalm is going. But the psalmist is taking his time in getting there. He's a man of faith. He knows who God is. And that is why it is so hard for him to make sense of what's been going on. Verse 5. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are? O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. The psalmist here sets a fine and wise example for us to follow. He is standing in the ruins of the Davidic empire, but rather than focus on the ashes at his feet, he fixes his eyes first upon the glories and the splendors of the heavenly throne room. He wants to begin by remembering who God is. He wants to start there and work from there down to his earthly problems. And that's the right way to do it. We shouldn't obsess over our problems. And, and then, and only then, finally lift our eyes to God for rescue. That is to make God incidental or instrumental. God becomes just a, a superhero or a, a divine paramedic that we call upon in times of need. No. God is God. He is who he is. And whatever it is we are experiencing has to be fit into that unchanging picture. And that is how Ethan has organized his approach in prayer. And as I said, it is one we would be wise to imitate. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. Verse 9. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The sea is sometimes personified in the Bible and given the name Rahab. The psalmist is saying here, You are sovereign over the forces of chaos, Lord. Before your face, every wave must become as glass. Verse 11. The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon, joyously praise your name. 
You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So not only is God powerful, he is also wise, just, and good. And he is faithful to his covenant promises. The psalmist uses two words that are critical to his overall argument. In the latter half of verse 14, he uses the word kesed and the word emet. The first means covenant love or commitment, and the second means to be reliable or to tell the truth. So that's who you are, God. You've shown yourself to be that way over the ages. You are a good God, Lord. You keep your promises and you love your people. And we are glad to be yours. That's what he says in verse 15. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. It is a good thing to be God's people. God's people thrive under his benevolent oversight. They are blessed. They are protected. They are favored. And so much of that favor and so many of those blessings have come to us, the psalmist says, through the covenant that you made with the house of David. He begins to speak about that now in verse 19. Of old, you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil, I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever a faithful witness in the skies. So the psalmist has begun his prayer first by remembering who God is, and now in this middle section by remembering what God said. God made certain promises to the house of David. He spoke them through Nathan the prophet. 
He said that he would establish David as a great king, not just over Israel, but over the whole earth. God said, I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. David's rule would overflow the boundaries of tiny Israel and would grow to finally encompass the entire earth. You promised that, God. You said, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of kings upon the earth. And you said that you would never abandon him, even if his sons were sinful. You said you would punish them severely when they sinned. You promised the rod and the whip, but you said that you would punish as a father and that you would never fully give up on your son. You sealed those promises with an oath. You swore by your own holiness. You said your word would endure beyond all creation. Verse 38. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He's become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is, for what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations, with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. This last section, obviously, is the lament section. The psalmist is saying, Nothing I see appears to accord with what I know about who you are and what you promised to your servant David. Where is the increase of his kingdom? Where is his rule over all the nations of the earth? We are defeated, Lord. We are humiliated. We are enslaved. Are you angry, Lord? Is, is this punishment? If this is punishment, Lord, then remember our frailty. If you mean only to chastise us, then, Lord, you have come very close to killing us. What is going on, Lord? Where is your steadfast love? Where is your faithfulness to the promises you made to David? It is not just us asking these questions, Lord. The nations watch and wonder. The nations say that you cannot be trusted. The nations say that you have abandoned us. The nations say that you are not strong enough to save us. Verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. That's an honest prayer, friends. and That's a good prayer. We should always begin our prayers with what we know about God and with what God has said. Take words with you, as the old prophet wrote. Go to God on the basis of his word, but make sure that you are listening to the word 
that you are bringing. Ethan the Ezraite asks questions in this psalm that will lie unanswered until the coming of Jesus Christ. But the seeds of an answer lie in the scriptures that he was reflecting on. Yes, it is true that God promised to prosper the house of David. Yes, it is true that he promised to expand his reign and rule. Yes, it is true that he said he would never finally abandon David. All of that is true. But it is also true that the promises he made were, in some sense, conditional. Willem van Gemeren says here, The Davidic covenant is a divine grant, assuring David's dynasty of glory, divine support, and continuity. The promises are conditional. The responsibility lies on each king of David's dynasty to fulfill his role as a representative of God's rule on earth. Closed quote. So, yes, God said he would do it. But he also said that he required the partnership of an obedient son of David in order to do it, or perhaps better, through whom to do it. And that is something that the house of David did not produce until Jesus. Jesus is the obedient son. Jesus is the one who calls God, my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. He is the ultimate firstborn son. The apostle to the Hebrews makes that point, quoting from 2 Samuel 7 in Hebrews 1.5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. All of those promises that were seemingly forgotten in the days of Ethan the Ezraite were merely waiting for an obedient son of David to receive them. And now, as the Apostle Paul said, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Paul says that we can share in those promises now if we are united to God through faith in Jesus Christ. God is who he says he is. God is faithful and just. He is powerful and righteous. He does tell the truth and he always keeps his promises. His timeline is often far longer than we could ever imagine, and his fatherly punishment does sometimes feel like judicial wrath. But he does not give up on his people. He is holy, he is loving, and he is good. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. 
There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 